We welcome you to Your Health New Hampshire right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Southern New Hampshire Area Health Education Center. Program focuses on wellness and health education. And on today's program, we're going to talk about how to be mindful of our mental wellness during the holiday season, which is right around the corner, folks. And uh, joining us in studio today, the program coordinator at Southern New Hampshire Area Health Education Center, Carly Hughes. Hello to you, Carly. Good morning. And we say hello uh, for the first time on this program to uh, Leah Elliott. Leah is the uh, behavioral health specialist with the uh, city of Nashua now for uh, for a couple of years, right? Yes, good morning. Well, Leah, it's great to have uh, you with us. And, uh, well, uh, tell us about, uh, you know, what you do in, in, in your job. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to you're, be here. You're welcome. Um, so I am the behavioral health specialist, as you said, for the city of Nashua Division of Public Health and Community Services. I'm a licensed social worker and a certified prevention specialist. Um, I received my um, Master's of Social Work from the University of New Hampshire in 2008. And since that time, I've had an opportunity to work with youth and adults um, with both mental health disorders as well as substance use disorders. Um, In addition to my role as the behavioral health specialist, I'm also the clinical director for a camp called Camp Mariposa, which is a subset of the Aluna Foundation. And it is a camp for youth ages 8 to 18 who have been impacted by familial substance misuse. And that is a program that I work with, as well as I do see some kiddos in private practice. So, you know, if I was going to do therapy with a client, you would do a a biopsychosocial, and you would find out what areas of their life they're struggling in, and you would develop a treatment plan to address those issues with goals and objectives. As the behavioral health specialist, I look at it that our job is to create a treatment plan for the city of Nashua and the the public health region that we serve, which is 13 cities all the way um, from Mason on the west to Pelham on the east. And so we use a public health model. So we have developed a community health assessment, which is similar to a biopsychosocial, to talk to residents in the area and find out what their concerns are, especially post the pandemic. And then we develop a community health improvement plan to help address those concerns. So it's almost like a treatment plan for the city and the region. And then we have goals and objectives for the region. Has there been uh, more depression that you have noticed uh, since the pandemic or in the, in the wake of the, the pandemic? I feel like my, my opinion is, is that one of the benefits of COVID is that it allowed people to say, hey, I'm struggling with my mental health, mm. but almost because everybody is struggling with their mental health, it, there's less stigma associated mm, with right. coming out and talking about it. So yes, absolutely, there are environmental factors that have impacted people, such as financial stressors, Um, loss of loved ones, isolation, especially with the older population. You know, they were the most vulnerable and they were told to stay inside and stay away from people. And it was very isolating for a lot of the older um, people that we have spoken with. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. Carly? Oh, yeah. We see it around a lot. Um, So what what have you suggested for um, mental wellness? So when we think about mental wellness, mental wellness is the things that you do to maintain your mental health that it help you to achieve peace and balance in your life. So if you think about your dental health, we all have dental health. That's the overall status of your mouth and your teeth. And we engage in dental wellness 
to maintain dental health, such as flossing and brushing our teeth and making sure we're not eating a lot of sugar and going to the dentist regularly. So if we think at our mental health, okay, which encompasses our emotional, psychological, and social well-being, it affects everything that we do in our lives, how we think, how we feel, how we act, how we manage stress, how we make choices and we relate to other people, the wellness that we engage in will help us to maintain that mental health. And that looks different for everybody. It looks different for where you live, um, your age range. So again, we think about the older population and there are a lot of barriers to them being able to engage in things like mental wellness to help their mental health. So, you know, our role as the the health team within Nashua is to try to find avenues for people to be able to engage in that social connection, which is really needed and make sure that there are not barriers um, to people being able to access those services as well. So, And, and, and it spans uh, all ages. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, that that's one of the things that uh, I'm sure we'll get into as we uh, continue this discussion on uh, this edition of, of Your Health, New Hampshire. But you, you said that, you know, uh, mental illness uh, has been really since COVID uh, uh, destigmatized. Yes, uh, I mean there was always that sort of stigma uh, hanging over it, uh, but but now uh, not so much the case. No, I feel like again people can say I'm really struggling, and it's not me. I'm not um, dysfunctional or broken, and which is the stigma, the per- interpersonal stigma someone experiences because. Now I have this outside source and everybody around me is struggling. So it's, it's not me. And that's what the fear is when you have a mental health issue is somebody feels as though that they're less than, that there's something wrong with them. They're not deserving of, of support and love. And, and everybody is. And there really is no difference between a physical health challenge than a mental health challenge. And that's what we want people to really understand is if you have something, an upset stomach, you would go to a doctor and it should be just as easy and unstigmatizing as a process to go and get help for your mental health. Along with the um, destigmatization, um, we talk about different types of language and why it's so essential to mental wellness. Um, What kind of language are we talking about? So when we talk again, we, we all have bias and it's very important that we know our biases and where they come from. And a lot of the time it can be depending upon where you grew up. Um, I like to think that there are three types of stigma. You have, you know, internalized stigma, again, the the stigma that you feel about yourself. Um, There is public stigma, which can be negative or discriminatory attitudes that other people might have about mental illness. And then there's institutional stigma. So that's the government and private organizations that intentionally or unintentionally limit opportunities for people with a mental illness. And so the language that we use, um, so we're really trying to get away from the word addiction It should be substance misuse disorder. We want to not call people crazy or suicidal because we don't want to identify a person by the situation that they're dealing with right now. Being suicidal is hopefully a temporary feeling, and we want to make sure we're encouraging and letting people know that recovery is possible, as well as early intervention. Just like any physical illness, the earlier you can catch something, um, the better that the outcomes will be for treatment and treatment availability. And so it's really important that we're not using, we're using first person language. So a person with a mental health disorder, a person with a substance use disorder, we don't wanna say someone is 
depressed. You know, we don't, oh, that's, that person's anxious. Well, no, they're experiencing anxiety in the moment. They're experiencing depression in the moment. It's not their tr- whole identity. So person-first language and making sure we're not using words um, like dirty or clean when we're talking about someone who is in active use because we want to make sure that that person knows that they're not dirty and they're not abusing you know, the, the substance. The substance, in a way, is abusing them. And so helping them to see that is going to help them to know that they there is help out there and recovery is possible. We have a, a very large recovery community throughout the state, especially in Nashua. What are some of the signs that uh, family and friends uh, can look for, uh, you know, if, if, uh, you know, a relative or or friend of theirs is is suffering? Really, you're looking for changes. You know, um, if someone really enjoyed an activity and now they're not enjoying that activity anymore, that would be a really good sign that they might be struggling with something. Changes in their appearance, changes in their performance. Um, There's Concerns at work, there's concerns at school, there's concerns in interpersonal um, communications and interactions, and they just seem different. Um, again, maybe withdrawing um, from activities that they like to enjoy before, changes in sleep habits, eat habits, appearance. That is real. The main signs is changes to what you might see from somebody as their baseline and typical appearance. So what can what can people do? What, what's the, the approach to take when they might notice some of these uh, behavioral changes? One of the things that we do at Public Health is we provide a training called Mental Health First Aid. And just similar to CPR, it helps to keep someone safe until someone more qualified, just as doctors, paramedics, can get to that scene to assist that person. We have to remember that even if you are not a professional and you haven't had formal training, You can still be there for someone and let them know that how they're feeling is typical, you know, is okay, and that there is help out there. And really listen, Um, active listening. So if someone, if you are going to approach a person with concerns, you want to make sure you have time for that conversation. You want to make sure you're the right person to have that conversation. And you want to give that person attention because maybe you're the first person that they ever told that they were struggling. Very interesting topic and a timely topic as well today on this edition of Your Health New Hampshire on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Southern New Hampshire Area Health Education Center. This program focuses on wellness and health education. And we will be right back here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. So stay with us. We welcome you back to this edition of Your Health, New Hampshire, here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Southern New Hampshire Area Health Education Center. This program focuses on wellness and health education. And uh, today on the program, we're going to be talking about how to be mindful of our mental wellness and the mental wellness of others uh, during the holiday season in particular. Carly Hughes is with us, the program coordinator at Southern New Hampshire AHEC. And Leah Elliott is the behavioral health specialist with the city of Nashua for about uh, two years now. Yes. And uh, Leah, you know this topic uh, very well, so we'll dive into some of the specifics of it that we uh, did not touch on in the opening segment. And uh, people hear the word 
anxiety and uh, PTSD. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we don't always know exactly what it means, uh, but uh, talk about anxiety and PTSD, how they are similar and perhaps how, how they're different. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, is a disorder where a person has a large anxious reaction to things that they perceive as dangerous. So we all have anxiety. Anxiety is what helps us to get up in the morning. We, we want to not get in trouble at work. We want to not get in trouble with our loved ones. So that anxiety motivates us to engage in the activities that we, we need to do that maybe sometimes we don't like to do. Um, when someone has a generalized anxiety disorder, their brain is kind of overreacting to situations that maybe are not necessary for that moment. Anxiety disorder can typically be either biological or it can be a product of environment. I like to use the example that um, if your parent mother was afraid of bees and every time she saw a bee and she ran away, you would see a bee and you would run away because you were taught that bees are dangerous. If you grew up in a family where your parents were beekeepers, you would not be afraid of bees. It would be a totally different situation. However, whatever you tell your brain is dangerous, your brain is going to react. That's what our brains do. Its number one job is to keep us alive. And when someone has anxiety, it's important to understand that it can be real, perceived, or imaginary. So if I truly believe that that bee is dangerous and that bee is going to kill me, when I see that bee, my brain's going to go danger, danger, danger. It's going to send a signal down to my adrenal glands, which is now going to give me the chemicals that I need to run away from that bee. And so my, somebody who has generalized anxiety disorder, their brain and body may react to situations where it's unnecessary to respond that way. And so it's really the brain's doing a really great job to keep you alive. Our brain gets information from our senses, so things we taste, touch, hear, see, and smell. So for example, if there was a fire, you would hear an alarm, you might smell smoke, you might see people running. All of those situations give your brain the information that something is going on, there's danger, and you need to run. And so it's, again, it's our defense mechanism system. It's designed to keep us alive. We all have it. And, um, but for, again, for some people who suffer from generalized anxiety disorder, their brain is overreacting to situations that are not dangerous. And again, it's a biological or environmental. So people who have anxiety disorder might have uh, feelings of apprehension or dread, feeling tense and jumpy, restlessness or irritability, or anticipating the worst and being watchful for signs of danger. Post-traumatic stress disorder, the symptoms are similar, but post-traumatic stress disorder is due to a situation where a person felt that their life was in danger. So for example, a car accident. If a person got into a car accident and it was a bad situation, they might be afraid to get into a car mm -hmm. again. So their brain, eyes see that car and it sends a signal that goes danger, danger, danger. And now they have all of these chemicals going on in their body, but they are not gonna run away. They're not going to fight. And so those feelings are kind of all stuck inside and they, and they don't feel good. So it may lead a person to, to sweat, to have a racing heart rate. And for some people, it feels like a heart attack. And they may truly believe that they're having a heart attack. And it's anxiety because the heart is pumping chemicals to help you to be able to run from the threat. So typically, people will respond in three ways, what we call fight, flight, or freeze. 
You're either going to fight the threat, you're going to run away from the threat, or you're going to hide from the threat. And it all depends upon how harmful you feel that threat is. So some people may feel like they can fight, and some people might have a tendency to run away. So, And post-traumatic stress disorder also can be what we call vicarious trauma. So the trauma doesn't necessarily need to have affected you. So when you think of first responders who respond to very difficult situations, different difficult scenes, even though they were not the one that was hurt or they were not the one whose life was in danger, that trauma really impacts them. And that's why it's really important to recognize post-traumatic stress disorder among the first responder um, community because there's a big stigma, I feel like, um, among that community about seeking mental health services because people assume that just because they're in that job that they're supposed to be able to handle that. And the brain and the heart cannot handle some of the situations that our first responders come into. And it's really important to make sure that there are supports as well. Um, in New Hampshire, we have the DBART team. It's the Disaster Behavioral Response Team that's run through the state. And when there are difficult encounters that people might have throughout the state, the team can respond and provide services as well. Outstanding. Good Good to know that. I mean, I think we first uh, started hearing about PTSD in, in regards to uh, folks who had served in the military. Yes. Uh, and that's uh, how it, I think, first came to light for, for many people. But it's really something that, that has been around uh, forever, really, mm-hmm. and, and just just came to light, I, I think, in terms of people being in, involved in warfare. But it, it could involve any person from any walk of life. Absolutely. All of us, unfortunately, can experience trauma. And the result of that is for the what I like to think of the three E's. So you have your event, your experience, and the um the experience and oh there's one more I forgot okay there's another one but it's it's basically how was the effect that's what it is event experience effect so if you have for example a car accident and people showed up and they were very supportive and caring and you didn't suffer a bad loss Mm -hmm. that situation may not be as traumatic if you got into a car accident and you lost a loved one or right. you know you suffered a more um, difficult experience because of that car accident. So that experience can trigger a trauma as well. And so when someone is experiencing anxiety, either due to a disorder or due to post-traumatic stress disorder, a lot of the times they might have um, stomach aches because when you're upset, your brain shuts down digestion. And so that's why people maybe before a situation where they're going to have to do something that they're worried about or anxious about, you might get sick to your stomach or throw up. Um, and also your brain thinks, hey, if I get rid of this food, you can run faster. You have a lot more ability to go. And so um, people can have upset stomachs, headaches, again, racing heart, racing thoughts that you're having really difficulty to manage because your brain is getting some sort of feedback that you're in a dangerous situation. So as a friend or family member, what are some things that we can do to help somebody who's struggling with anxiety? Again, the number one thing is to not let them know that their anxiety is not real. It's their perception of what is scary. Really, it's good to, there's feedback going into the brain. You want to to kind of divert and distract that feedback. So if you are in a room, you could potentially get up and leave that room. Um, So again, senses, taste, touch, hear, see, smell. So that's why we want to practice mindfulness because it helps to slow the brain down to not react to situations as well. I always recommend that people carry candy on them or maybe something to touch because you want to distract your senses by activating a different sense. 
So just letting someone know that they're safe. Breathing is always, you could breathe with them. Because again, when we're anxious, the breathing gets sped up so that we can run. But if you're not running from a threat, then you're just kind of stagnant having all of those chemicals going through the body. So you can help someone breathe, let them know that they are safe. Um, grounding techniques are really great. You know, so there's something called the five, four, three, two, one method, five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can touch, two things you can smell, and then you make a positive self-statement to help ground you and keep you in the moment because your brain, for some reason, believes that you're in danger. How do you know when to intervene? I mean, there has to be a, a timing to it. Just, you know, the circumstances have to be right. Uh, and you may hesitate, I think, in many cases to intervene. And it it's depends on the person because, again, you have to remember that um, anxiety also, there's an anger component to it because you're giving this adrenaline to essentially fight. So you definitely want to make sure that your safety is always the most important. And you don't want to approach a person if they are in an aggressive state. The best is to just stand there, not engage, but be there and say when you're ready and you're calm enough to talk, I'm here for you. And please let me know what I can do to help. But your safety is always the most important. That is Leah Elliott. Leah is the behavioral health specialist with the city of Nashua. For almost two years now, and uh, Carly Hughes with us as well, program coordinator at Southern New Hampshire AHEC. The show is Your Health New Hampshire, presented by Southern New Hampshire Area Health Education Center. Program focuses on wellness and health education. And uh, we will be right back, right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Welcome back to this edition of Your Health, New Hampshire, right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Southern New Hampshire Area Health Education Center. This is a program that focuses on wellness and health education. And if you're just joining us, uh, today's program is taking a look at how to be mindful of uh, our mental wellness and uh, that of our friends and relatives uh, during the holiday season. And in studio today, we have uh, Carly Hughes, program coordinator at Southern New Hampshire AHEC. And uh, Leah Elliott is the uh, behavioral health specialist with the city of Nashua. And uh, we touched earlier a little bit on depression. And you, uh, you always hear that during this time of the year, during the holiday season, uh, depression uh, is uh, at its its highest level. And, and why is that? I think it's a couple of factors. Um, and fortunately, this is the time of the year where we have less light. And so a lot of things that people do to, again, we talked about mental wellness, to engage in mental wellness can be outdoors. It can be taking a walk in nature. It can be being outside, engaging in an activity with a friend like mini golf. And when it comes to this time of the year, it's a little colder outside. We don't have as much light. And I feel like people sometimes lose some of those skills that they're using to help maintain their mental health and not are, are not always replaced. You know, um, so for the skiers and people that like the winter sports, it might be okay. They may not suffer as much but um, or be coping, you know, as difficultly with the changes in the seasons. But for people that have seasonal affective disorder, those, um, those activities that they're engaging in to maintain their mental health health are no longer there and that can be a time to struggle. It's also a time where if someone has lost a loved one, 
they might be going through their first holidays without them. It might be a time that you're, if you don't have family to go and visit with, or you don't have the availability to take work off, to go and visit with people. It can feel very isolating to see people together during these holidays and to maybe not have that support. So that can increase people's feelings of loneliness and isolation, which are big factors when it comes to depression. And uh, that can lead to other things, too, people trying to cope with that uh, depression. Absolutely. And, and again, we all have sadness. If you lose a loved one, it is very typical to be sad, um, you know, for a period of time. However, sometimes the brain can't cope with that loss and that tragedy, and that could lead to a depressive episode. So it's important to recognize when someone is coping with a difficult loss or situation, job loss, friend loss, death loss. It can be any type of loss that can trigger that depressive episode. And and again, the brain doesn't have the ability to manage it. And so you might see that person withdrawing, um, again, not taking good care of themselves. They might have changing in their eating and their sleeping. So, And again, big look is anything that is a change. Some people do have major depressive disorder, which is a chemical imbalance in the brain. It's not necessarily caused by any sort of a loss. And that person just struggles with how they perceive themselves, their worth, and um, you know, just struggles to find positive things to engage in. And so people who are um, working, people who are coping with depression might have um, feel agitated or slowed down. They might feel tired a lot. They might have feelings of low self-worth. And it's really important to f- help a person who is coping with depression to find activities that they like because that's going to help them to alleviate and mitigate those depressive feelings. Of course, some people uh, will not have that kind of support. Sure. And uh, that's always difficult. And I think that's probably uh, more than anything that that could lead to a substance abuse if you're just alone have have nobody to to talk to during the holiday season nobody to celebrate with uh, I, I think that probably is is one of the uh, uh, the the leading paths to uh, substance abuse true and for some people that don't either have the access or the ability to seek services they may turn to substances to self-medicate as well as we do live in a culture where substances are prevalent. And this is the time of the year where people will go to holiday parties maybe and engage in use. And not everybody that uses will have a substance use disorder. And for some people, they may not know that they could have a substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. So you are doing what your friends are doing, you know, that you're seeing other people do. And unfortunately, because maybe you do have an underlying mental health challenge, it could exacerbate that substance use. So, you know, substances, we have a chemical in our brain called dopamine. It's crucial to our survival. So when we engage in an activity that is important, such as eating, having sex, um, you know, dopamine is released because those activities are crucial to our survival. We need to maintain a population. You need to eat to keep your body healthy. However, when someone uses substances, it activates the reward system, that dopamine system, at higher rates than any of those natural rewards can provide. And our brain has kind of a hierarchy of needs within our brain to know which activities are more important to our survival. And so when someone eats something, they might really release more dopamine than if they're reading a book. Both are important. So because the substances 
um, give off so much dopamine, it hijacks the brain into believing that those substances are the most important. And so that's typically how someone will go from um, um, recreational use Mm -hmm. to dependency. And then once someone is dependent on a substance, now there is a physical component because our bodies always want to achieve homeostasis. And so if a person is using a substance on a regular basis, the brain goes, oh, there's way too much dopamine going on. Let me stop and decrease the amount of natural dopamine that I'm producing. So now you have a person that maybe the only time that they're receiving any of that dopamine is when they're engaging in substance misuse. And so they're feeling low emotionally Mm -hmm. and as well as the body has become dependent on that substance. So when that person um, does decide that they want to make changes and um, lower their use, their body may feel bad as well as their brain may feel bad. So there's emotional reasons that people continue to use as well as physical reasons that people continue to use. And what are some of the signs that we're looking for to see that um, somebody has gone from just recreational use to having um, a misuse disorder? It's really focusing a lot of their day on either obtaining the substance, using the substance, or recovering from the substance. And doing so impacts all aspects of their lives, from their cognitive Um, ability, their social ability, their vocational ability. So you're going to see difficulties in school, disinterest in school-related activities, maybe declining grades for a youth. And for an adult, it might be frequent absences at work, tardiness at work, um, confusion at work. Maybe they're mixing up what days they need to be there, um, coming up with a lot of excuses of why they might be absent or late, um, lack of energy when they're engaging in their daily activities, spending more money than usual or requesting to borrow money, um, issues with financial management, not paying bills on time, bloodshot eyes, poor skin tone, appearing tired or run down. Um, they might be defensive when they're asked about their substance misuse. Any altered behavior, especially a desire for privacy, wanting to be alone a lot, drastic changes in relationships, and changes in physical appearances, such as wearing inappropriate Um, or unclean clothes and the way that they are grooming themselves. So their hair might be unkempt or um, hair um, face might be unkempt, you know, just things like that. So really, again, changes is what you're looking for and a a focus on how to obtain, use, and recover from the substance. And what can we do to help? Again, letting someone as early as possible. Early intervention is key. So if you think of any, again, physical illness, the longer it goes, the harder it is to treat. And so we want to make sure that we are recognizing something as early as possible, trying not to be, you know, make that person feel defensive because we ultimately want them to feel heard and that there's, there's nothing wrong. It is a mental health disorder. So substance use disorder is a mental health disorder. And we don't want to make that person feel that stigma for going and accessing those services. Because again, it's a lot of that internalized Um, there's something wrong with me and I'm not worthy of support or recovery. And we are, and and just letting people know that a lot of people have substance use disorder and there is a large recovery community of recovery as possible and providing services. So 211 is the doorway. It's a, it's route in Hampshire. And that is if someone would like to receive some services, they can contact the doorway um, and they will do an assessment right there. And so maybe having someone to do an assessment to say, hey, you know, check, check, check. Are you seeing all of this? Because that person may not see that. So, you know, I, and maybe not, you know, offering an opportunity to have 
activities without substances. So if you know someone, you know, is maybe having some concerns, then maybe you're going to make sure that you're not inviting them to that party where a lot of people are engaging in substance use. You know, helping people to find activities that don't involve substance misuse Mm -hmm. can be difficult sometimes as well. And and we're talking about all kinds of substance misuse, whether it uh, is, uh, you know, prescription drugs, uh, illegal drugs. Alcohol. Alcohol, exactly, exactly. And we'll delve more into this and more when we continue on this edition of Your Health New Hampshire here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Southern New Hampshire Area Health Education Center. This program focuses on wellness and health education, and we want you to stand by and continue with us here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this edition of Your Health New Hampshire here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you with us today, and this show is presented by Southern New Hampshire Area Health Education Center. The program focuses on wellness and health education. And joining us in studio, Carly Hughes, Program Coordinator at Southern New Hampshire Area Health Education Center. Uh, Leah Elliott is with us in studio today, the Behavioral Health Specialist with the City of Nashua, and uh, joining us on the phone from uh, an undisclosed location is uh, Sandra Osario uh, from AHEC, and uh, Sandra, great to have you with us today. Uh, Thank you for having me. And of course, uh, this program that we're, uh, you know, discussing today, how to be mindful of our mental wellness uh, during the holiday season. And uh, I know, Sandra, in some cases, uh, people are concerned with the wellness of their friends and family and loved ones, and sometimes uh, aren't as concerned and, and don't take as, as good a care of themselves as they probably should. Absolutely, yes. Um, of course, this is a season that's coming up, holiday season is coming up, so we always make sure that, you know, we get gifts and we want to do, we want to give. So it's a season of giving, but sometimes we give a little bit, you know, too much. Um, so we know the holiday season is a festive and joyful time of the year, great uh, t- time to celebrate, be with family and friends. But for some, um, for many, it can be overwhelming and even lead to feelings of loneliness, anxiety or depression. You know, and then we feel like giving, that's how we can balance ourselves. And, oh, no, I, this makes me feel good by giving and giving and giving. Um, so sometimes we can refer this as the holiday blues, you know, when we feel like that. And um, so, you know, we have some ideas uh, how we, we make sure we're taking uh, in consideration ourselves. And um, especially during this uh, crazy busy season that's coming up. So, you know, uh, getting enough sleep, you know, simple things that we don't even think about. Uh, enough sleep and schedule a downtime to nourish yourself. Um, and again, holiday schedule with, you know, people traveling and many social obligations. And so make sure. And this, so the stress, the lack of sleep uh, goes down. And this increases the stress. So make sure you prioritize 
your emotional health and well-being by just making sure you're getting enough sleep. So, um, also, yeah. No, I was going to say, how do we find the time to do that while well, we're uh, trying to care for everybody else? Right, just be more mindful that, okay, you know, just have a schedule, have a, uh, you know, a, a certain time that you would like to, uh, that you makes, you, makes you feel good, you know, even you can have between seven to nine hours, so stick to it. So let's say if uh, if you're you feel like more refreshed when you go to bed at nine p.m. instead of eleven or twelve uh, midnight, then stick to the to the uh, the time that it makes you feel better and just have more energy um, the next morning. So stick to it and try to do your best. Put an alarm on um, when it's you know nine p.m. Oh, the alarm went off then it's time to go to bed. It's time to get myself ready and work myself to go to bed. So, <laughs> so that's a good... So sleep Sleep is one of the keys to uh, taking yes. uh, good care of yourself. Uh, Leah, any other thoughts about uh, strategies you can employ to uh, take better care of yourself while at the same time still taking care of others? I think um, making sure that you're doing things in small amounts. So mm-hmm. take small steps, make lists. Cross them off. You want to reward yourself for all the hard work that you're doing because especially I feel like in this field, we it, it's difficult and we sometimes feel like we're not doing enough. And if you can point out all the things that you are doing enough, it's going to help you to feel more motivated and have that positive energy that you need. Yeah, and that, that is uh, so true. I, I think we always uh, look too much in advance, you know, and have anxiety about things that are going to be happening in the future. But I think if we take you know, one step at a time and take it uh, slowly and uh, mindfully, uh, it'll it'll probably uh, work out better in the long run. And I think the helpers need help too sometimes, you know, so don't, if you are struggling, feel free to also reach out and talk with a professional to help you to develop strategies to manage that stress a little better. Because if you don't manage your stress, then you're not going to be helping people because you may not be wanting to be in that position anymore. And right. we don't want people to... To feel that way. Talking about um, make, making time for the smaller things or making small changes in our chronic disease and chronic um, pain self-management classes, we do action planning where we focus on making a change over a week, um, just small changes and small steps. Uh, Sandra's also familiar with that, right? Correct, Sandra? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, and uh, you know, just to uh, give you a hint and you can always uh, head to our website, www.snhaahec.org, and then you can find, you can click on uh, Find Out More, the button, and then you will find extra information about all the upcoming programs that we have available. Yeah. Yeah, earlier in the episode, you talked about um, the changing of the light and getting outside. We also have a program um, called Walk With Ease that focuses on getting out and walking. Do you want to talk a little bit about that um, physical movement then, how it helps? Absolutely. Physical movement is it helps to provide some mm-hmm. natural endorphins, you know, and endorphins lead to dopamine. And then you're, again, rewarding your brain. Dopamine is reward. When we're engaging in activity that we enjoy, 
it, our brain is rewarded to want to do it again. And so, you know, sometimes it's just being able to get out and start doing that and incorporating it into your routine. And once you do that, your brain will will want it. It will crave it. It will say, oh, you didn't go out and take that walk today. And so, you know, being able to do that helps you to a, get out of the house, um, not be looking at a screen. To It also gives you an opportunity to maybe be outside and enjoy nature. It's beautiful right now with the falling leaves and the changing leaves. And then when it does snow, it can look very pretty as well. And so you're opening up your brain to positive things that are now going to release positive chemicals. If you're just staring at a list of things you need to do, there's not going to be a lot of positive chemicals going on in your brain. But if you're out walking, it's stimulating and it just makes you feel better. And especially if you can do that with people, I think that's going to provide you that social opportunity as well as a physical health opportunity. Dopamine can work in many ways. It is. It's again, it's our survival chemical, and it is involved in pretty much everything that we do. You know, I'm having dopamine right now because I'm super happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but again, uh, and I think you know we're talking about uh, mental wellness during uh, this holiday season, which is upon us, and and for many people, uh, many people. It is the most stressful time uh, of the year, but I think people put the stress on themselves. I mean, more, more than other people do, people stress themselves out uh, during this time of year. And absolutely, again, small lists. And, yeah. and then check off those lists as you're doing them so you can see some progress. And again, our brains, I like to think, are kind of like a tree. Okay, we have um, branches, and we have, like I tell the kids I work with, you have a math branch and a science branch and a mental well wellness branch and a walking branch. And the more you use those branches, which are technically what we call neural pathways, the more you use them, the more they are strengthened and the more they're harder to break. So if you start walking and you're doing that, you're, you're building a really strong physical activity branch that is going to be a lot harder to break. And so if you say miss a day, if it's super strong, that's okay. It, it most likely will be resilient and bounce back and be strong and you'll be here that little voice in your head that says go out and walk but if you just walk one day and you haven't really taken the time to strengthen that branch then when you take that day off it might be a little harder to get back involved so positive affirmations i just think being able to start your day in a positive manner you know is the best way to start your day um, and so you're getting up and you're looking in the mirror while you're brushing your teeth and maintaining that awesome dental wellness. You're going to maintain your mental health wellness by saying, you know, I woke up this morning and I am ready to go and being able to reward yourself for the small things. Because sometimes the small things are the big things. And we don't want to overlook how just getting out of bed in the morning and being on time for work and meeting those expectations and commitments that you've made are really important and you want to point that out to your brain. And research shows that by doing that, it helps to, that dopamine is released and then it will strengthen those neural pathways. And they are able to form, there's a thing called neuroplasticity. And so it just shows that those neural pathways can be changed. So if you've never been a crafter and you want to start crafting, you can, your brain will adapt to that and it will build a, an art branch, even if you never had one before, they will make room for that. And so I just think starting your day off, positive affirmation, and then throughout the day, point out all the great things that you're doing. It's sometimes so much easier to point out the bad things. You know, when I ask people to give an affirmation, it's easier sometimes to say something negative. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, we've had a lot of great uh, information and affirmation yes. uh, today here on the program. and want to thank uh, everyone uh, for joining us. And uh, Leah, great to meet you. Thank you. And uh, great uh, insight today. 
And uh, you're with the uh, City of Nashua. You're the health specialist, behavioral health specialist. And uh, how can they find more information about, uh, you know, uh, your services? can find us on social media and our website, which is www.nashuanh.gov. If you are um, working, dealing with a mental health crisis or a substance misuse crisis, you can call the Rapid Response Line at 1-833-710-6477. Leah, thank you very much. And Car- Carla Hughes, thank you as well from AHEC. And Sandra Osorio, thank you as well for being with us today <laughs> on this edition of Your Health New Hampshire, presented by Southern New Hampshire Area Health Education Center, a program that focuses on wellness and health education. Thanks for joining us today here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, and happy holidays to everyone.